This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Queen Elizabeth II, what was she like in person? What was the influence on the people that met her? Father Guy Hewitt, Church of England's first racial justice director and friend of the Shift, as he's been on from Barbados before, shares stories from his meeting with Her Majesty and his work. He also tells us how the Queen balanced tradition with progressive life and life that was changing. He's in London now. What did Queen Elizabeth mean to you? Your calls and texts we hear from Stephen Rossiter and Highland Titles in the UK and how the Queen's passing is weighing on British people. Are you okay with maps? And what about KFC? Hint, it's not chicken, it's potato chips. All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. A few months ago, boy, it might have almost been a year ago, I suppose, we were very lucky to be introduced to a gentleman who we thought was quite fascinating because we shared the last name. And then it turns out that we struck quite a cool relationship. And then um, his job has been changing. It was Barbados, actually, that brought us together. And then he was in Florida. And now he's Church of England's first racial justice director, uh, Father Guy Hewitt, uh, joins us from uh, England now guy how are you good morning i'm shane and good morning canada i speak to you this morning obviously with a heavy heart as we we mourn the passing of queen elizabeth ii it is uh, an incredibly uh strange day i think here in canada guy because i the way that i've summarized it and this is my own observation is that I think that the passing of the Queen, for many, was something that they anticipated, you know, but you're never really ready. And for others, they might not have thought that they cared, if you will, or it mattered to them. But as this day has come, it seems to have struck people in ways that they might be a little bit surprised. I was wondering, uh, you are in England, if you can let us know specifically where you are and what you see as the general tone of the people. I I am in London, um, just close to the Thames, and based in Fulham at my local church. The, the tone here is, is, as you say, one of, one of still shock because notwithstanding Her Majesty's age, um, people have grown up, lived their entire lives with her as their queen. And therefore, as you point, although... Um, Inevitable and somewhat anticipated, the separation, the losing of an icon of the 20th century and to a certain extent of the 21st century is a shock to everyone across the Commonwealth, especially all the realms that hold her as their queen and particularly in the United Kingdom, which has been her home for, for all this time. Um, so many questions, Guy. Uh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge how great it is to hear your voice again. I've missed chatting with you, so um, I really appreciate you uh, getting up so early and, and being a part of this conversation with us. I do, I do appreciate you. Um, the Let's talk about the church first. Let's talk about the Church of England, because you do have sure. a new job. You have, you've gone over yeah. there. Uh, you were here in North America, and then now you've yeah. gone over there. A lot of people don't really understand um, the Queen and the Church of England and the relationship 
Um, help us understand that for those who don't maybe uh, live in the faithful uh, or maybe who don't understand what it is, because her as uh, her leadership as a figurehead is incredibly important. Well, I mean, apart from from the queen being um, a strong, dignified um, global leader, as I say, the the queen of of fourteen and different realms um, and countries, um, she has also had uh, a quiet um, faith and piety, which has been inspirational to the country at different times when they've needed to rally um, in crisis. And and her role, one of her roles, because the Church of England is a state institution, meaning um, is that she is also the head of the church. Um, it's, a, it's a largely symbolic role because the Archbishop of Canterbury is um, presides over and, and leads the Church of England as he does the, the Anglican Communion, um, which would include the, the Church of Canada. Um, she is um, symbolically um, the, the head, and people have always drawn much from, from her faith, from her commitment to, to God and to the country. And, and therefore, the, the, across the UK, the churches will be, I'm sure, busy, in thanksgiving, but also in commemoration of this outstanding life that is no longer with us. In the church, in all of this, um, you met the Queen long before with an old job, and you've shared with us, yes. uh, Guy, that um, that you were able to spend time and learn so much back then. It was 2014 to 2018, and correct me if I don't have the the name quite right, but it was an ambassador, ambassadorial appointment for the High Commissioner of Barbados in London. Yes. Um, and yeah. that connection that you did for those relationships between the two countries. And then um, you left that and you've moved on, but now you've come back again. So can you help understand, um, I guess, what that looks like and that relationship looks like? And you have shared with us some very special stories about your time with the Queen, and I was hoping you could maybe um, help us understand some of the tenderness that was there. Yes, um, as you say, Shane, between 2014 to 2018, I was Barbados' High Commissioner, which effectively means Ambassador to the United Kingdom. And it was, it was an honor for me in two senses, not only representing Barbados, but because I was born in London, it was a homecoming of sorts. And, and it's different being a high commissioner because, and especially coming from Barbados at the time, which was a realm where Her Majesty was Queen of Barbados. It was intriguing because I was coming from a country back to the country of my birth, but ultimately to report into to my effective boss because as Queen of Barbados, she and as Queen of the UK, she was receiving me um, from one country that she ruled over to another country that she was a, a head of state, and so it was very intimate. And and I I will always have warm and wonderful memories of her graciousness, of also uh, um, a sense of humor. When I saw her the first time, we were able to speak extensively about. 
um, her love of horses and horse racing, something that I shared from my youth, but more importantly, the uh, Barbadian Sir Michael Stout, or Barbadian-born um, Sir Michael Stout, is now celebrated as the most successful racehorse trainer in the United Kingdom, trained for the Queen, brought her many winners, and we were able to have um, a wonderful, a wonderful um, chat about about horses, about sports, about the things that we held in common um, for her, love of the Commonwealth, for her, um, a great appreciation of all Barbados has meant historically and, and, and even up to then um, in terms of the link between England, Britain and Barbados with visitors in terms of some amount of trade and investment. Um, yeah, wonderful memories, very, very wonderful memories. I got also to know, um, well, now King Charles III, and we say God save him um, and her grandsons at the time, more so Harry, because of his work um, with inclusion. So it, it was a time where I felt very much um, connected to a family that, that celebrates and signifies great tradition, um, both in the UK and across the world, and through King Charles now, um, will continue to have an important role in not only the realms, but in the Commonwealth, because he succeeds her as head of the Commonwealth. Father Guy Hewitt joins us from London, England. And Guy, you being Barbadian um, in, you know, uh, and, 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 and love, your love of the island is, is a beautiful thing yeah. that you share. And going back now in inside the Church of England, we've heard so many stories about this balance that the Queen was able to strike between tradition and still progression in so many ways and balancing those, um, both of those topics. And I think that your relationship, you know, from the ambassador portion to Barbados creating its own new future, uh, which is how we met last year, yeah. and then even more so now with your new title of the Church of England's first racial justice director from the outside, and please please correct me if I'm wrong, but that to me seems like a, a nice, um, easy to understand for us example of the kinds of example that the Queen set for respecting tradition but still progressing in ways that the the world and the communities needed to progress. Is that is that fair? No, that is very fair. That's very, very fair, Shane. One of the things that was remarkable about her reign, I mean, she she would have celebrated 70 years as as the Queen as you say, of Canada, of the UK, of all the realms, but also in her role as the head of the Commonwealth. What was most remarkable was the way in which in the post-World War II in the um, decolonization era, the independence era, she was able to easily, and I would say with great humility, adjust herself from the, the, the queen of an empire to becoming um, peers or colleagues with the new presidents and the new head of states that emerged in Africa, the Asia, um, the Caribbean, the Pacific. And she did that 
in a way that no other former colonial power was able to do. The Commonwealth, which is a network now of 56 countries, is as strong now as it was, or stronger now than it was in colonial times. The, the membership largely have stayed in the Commonwealth because they have never, they felt that sense of collegiality, that they are there as equals. And a significant part of the success of keeping the Commonwealth um, together was the fact that Her Majesty led it and she was able to transition from, as I say, being a head of all of these countries across the Commonwealth to becoming peers with newly emerging leaders, presidents and head of state. And that showed a remarkable sensitivity to diversity and the need for inclusion and equality at a time when many other countries didn't get it. She got it and she has lived that throughout her life that at times of great tragedy in the United Kingdom and other places, she has been seen to be there amongst the people and alongside the people, and she is revered and loved for that. I think it's such a great example of when you have a country like Barbados steps away into their own new future, and then what does the, the, the Queen and the Church of England do is that they still keep the family the family, right, and let leaders yeah. be leaders and, and exactly. still come back into such a role. And, and, again, another homecoming for you. It must be special for you, Guy, to be able to be so close. I mean, to celebrate her life and actually be home in England, uh, how special is that for you? Because the last time we talked, no. you know, you you had been around yes. and you you know serving you were serving your community, but you were far away. And here you are now. You're right in the center of it. Um, you know, a blessing in disguise, perhaps, but important. Indeed, um, being in London at this time is very reassuring and very rewarding. I mean, to be here as as this nation and other nations around the Commonwealth pay tribute to, to this, this, this outstanding leader and, and humanitarian and individual um, is special. But as you said, also at a time where I think there is a move and a mood in the UK for greater change, for greater social cohesion, for a way of doing things differently going forward, of truly wanting to be one people united under God, it is, um, to me, a very important time to be in the UK. And I look forward to the role that I can play in this country in terms of bringing people closer together, in terms of making it feel truly multicultural in ways in which everybody feels that there is a space for them um, within the United Kingdom to call home and to to be united as Her Majesty tried to unite us um, as one people. Now, you've shared with us, uh, Father Guy Hewitt, you've shared with us your, you, the conversations you've had with the Queen and family members and these people, and I know that you've also shared with me the impact that leadership has had on you, um, you following your heart, uh, inside the church, inside your community. You've shared those stories with us. And I know you well enough from our conversations to know that you will serve your community uh, as you love to do. This question, though, is specifically for Guy. And 
how is your heart today? It is heavy. It is a heavy heart um, that we we embrace um, the the future, um, the reality that Her Majesty is is no more with us. But the reality is as as told in in Scripture in, in Second Timothy, where Saint Paul says, "I've fought the good fight." I've kept faith. I finished the race, and and there waiting for me is the crown of righteousness. And I think we can, in a sense, take comfort that Her Majesty fought the good fight. She finished the race, and she kept faith. And we can commend her to the arms of God, knowing that she shall rest in peace and rise in glory, simply because she was the outstanding person, child of God, and, and leader that we can continue to emulate in our lifetime as an example to us all. Some leaders are quiet, and some leaders are, are loud, and some quietly work in the background and get an awful lot done that maybe we don't need to know. And and this is my understanding as I'm learning more about Queen Elizabeth II was uh, has been happening for a very, very, very long time. This reliable figure that we've been able to look towards that hasn't changed. So I feel you very much uh, with what the future looks like. And there is um, while there is a beauty to the past of all of this, you know, there is um, some uh, delightful curiosity mixed with. I've never known anything different of what the future will bring for us. And so I really appreciate the stand that you take, Guy. I really appreciate uh, you uh, sharing this with us today. And also congratulations on on this next step of, of your faith, your community, and your career. Because you, you, I remember when we chatted before and, and we talked about having an impact and, and your commitment to to your, your island of Barbados. And, and, and then yet here you are, um, you know, still serving this community and going to even another level to be there for your community. I just, uh, you are amazing. I I really appreciate you. Thank you, Shane. Um, Thank you for for all those kind words. And and it it has been, for me, an incredible journey of faith. And and it has been challenging sometimes when you you find yourself, I mean, I've I've lived in, in, I say to people, four countries in the last four years, changed jobs four times. But continue to go where the spirit leads and and i think i am back here for a purpose and i just make myself available to that divine purpose and pray that all will be well uh thank you for the time i sent you a text message i do look forward to reconnecting after uh this yes uh, at any time yeah because i've been uh... again condolences to the people of canada This is the Shift Podcast. Queen Elizabeth II's long list of impact is quite surprising. If you go back in time for the long list of prime ministers here in Canada um, that, you know, she had conversations with, uh, it goes back so far. Our prime minister, uh, if you like him or not, doesn't matter. He spoke quite emotionally today about the queen and... Some people scoff at him for for the things he said. It's different for our prime minister. Our prime minister 
was impacted by the Queen and two different seasons of his life, of course, his dad, when he was prime minister so long ago. So the relationship is quite different, and I find it very genuine when he says things like one of his favorite people. And that must be incredibly touching so far back. And as the Queen reminds us of people in our lives, I would imagine for the Prime Minister, it very much takes him back to his mom and his dad and those times from so long ago in the um, late 70s, early 80s, and, and when he was a young boy. So quite fascinating how the impact of the Queen has been on that. What are your thoughts of the Queen? 877-399-9898. Where did you go? What do you remember? What are your thoughts of the Queen? And I still, as I see these photos of her, I can't help but be thinking of my mom's mom, my nana, my dad's mom, my grandma, their haircuts, the grandma haircut. Like it was a th- it was a thing, this all white grandma haircut that looked a lot like the Queen's hair. Um, and maybe it wasn't exactly the same, but there was a, a sort of air about it. So I spent an awful lot of time, you know, thinking of that today. So what are your thoughts Uh, What are you thinking about today with the Queen? Now, here, let's go back in time before we get to some of those calls. Here is some information from so long ago, 1953, 70 years ago almost. This is part of the BBC's Marathon 8-hour live television broadcast of the coronation on 2nd of June, 1953, beginning with the Queen's arrival at Westminster Abbey and going through to the end of the service It is narrated by Richard Dimbleby. This throne, like the raised floor of the theater itself, is descended from those days 1,500 years ago when the early kings sat for their crowning upon a mound of earth and were then lifted high upon the shoulders of their nobles so that all the peoples might see them. So today, the queen will ascend the steps of her throne there symbolically to be lifted into it by the Archbishop and the Earl Marshal in the sight today of a great multitude of people. It is at the moment that she is seated upon her throne that she takes possession of her kingdom. And she is then addressed by the Archbishop with the words of an exhortation which has come down to us virtually unchanged from the coronation of William the Conqueror. The Queen's era goes back so incredibly far. And we're going to talk about that here in a couple of minutes. And so it impacts all of us differently from different seasons of our lives. Now, when the Queen came in to become the Queen, celebrations took place across the Commonwealth. Commemorative medal was issued as well. Elizabeth's was the fourth and last British coronation of the 20th century. It was estimated to have a cost of $1.57 million. And if you turn that into funds of 2019 with inflation and all the things it's about 43 million pounds is the impact and the cost of that so here is the very first televised christmas broadcast from so long ago it was 1957 imagine christmas this year at sandringham is going to be very very different it was the queen's speech filmed at sandringham house in norfolk happy christmas 25 years ago, my grandfather broadcast the first of these Christmas messages. Today is another landmark, because television has made it possible for many of you to see me in your homes on Christmas Day. 
My own family often gather round to watch television, as they are at this moment. And that is how I imagine you now. I very much hope that this new medium will make my Christmas message more personal and direct. This new medium of television. 1957, and let's go back in time because these names might not mean anything for you other than hearing them and familiar maybe from social studies, but the very first Prime Minister in Canada was uh, Louis Saint Laurent. John Diefenbaker was the second that had the impact on uh, being a Prime Minister when the Queen uh, started. Diefenbaker. Like, that is how long ago that is. 1957. Like, in 1957, my dad was 10. My dad was 10 when she started being the boss lady. So my dad celebrated his 75th birthday this year. So, like, just to give you some context of how long that ago that is for some of us, we'll talk more about that later. Later in this Christmas speech, she did say, Last October, I opened the new Canadian Parliament and as you know, this was the first time that any sovereign had done so in Ottawa. Once again, I was overwhelmed by the loyalty and enthusiasm of my Canadian people. Now, speaking of Canada, Global News created a fantastic look at Her Majesty's visits to Canada throughout her 70-year reign. Two Canadian chairs greet the princess. As followed by the Duke, she steps onto Canadian soil for the first time. Queen Elizabeth's rich relationship with Canada stretched so long, during her first trip, she was still princess in 1951. Over the seven decades that followed, the Queen made nearly two dozen visits, seeing every corner of the country, urban, rural and remote, and meeting all kinds of Canadians, drawing big crowds. The Queen rarely says anything controversial, but she brings uh, a great deal of excitement, and I think Part of the excitement is because people actually don't know what she's thinking. This is the little dress I wore. Susan Sweeney Herman was nine years old when she was selected to present flowers to the Queen in Quebec in 1959, a moment that stayed with her. She was very, very sweet, a lovely smile, um, thanked me, you know, for the flowers and fussed over them for a moment, and so I felt happy about that. And then off she went and shook more hands. 33 years later, she was able to arrange the same honor for her own nine-year-old daughter. I took pen to paper, you know, my best fountain pen, wrote a letter to the Queen's private secretary, not thinking anything would come of it, but 10 days later, an envelope arrived in the mail with the royal insignia, thanking me for my, uh, my letter. The Queen has been there for key moments in Canadian history. Carolyn Harris points to 1970, Prince Charles and Princess Anne's first trip, and one of many times the Queen met with Indigenous peoples. It was not only an opportunity to engage with Indigenous people in these regions and to visit areas that had never received a royal visit before, but it was a very clear statement of Canadian sovereignty over the Arctic. The whole family was back for the 1976 Olympics in Montreal, watching Princess Anne compete on the British equestrian team. In 1982, Her Majesty signed the Constitution Act, signaling Canada's move to full sovereignty. There could be no better moment for me, as Queen of Canada, to declare again 
my unbounded confidence in the future of this wonderful country. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's The Shift. We have a very special guest who, uh, he's from England. He lives in Scotland now, and he's also made Ryan and I uh, landowners, technically. It's not really landowners. It's a reserve plot, nature reserve in Scotland. Now, the Queen passed away in Scotland, so it only seems appropriate uh, that we connect there and get some insight. This is The Shift with Shane Hewitt. Stephen Rossiter, we met a couple of years ago, actually, is with Highland Titles, which is a nature preserve, and uh, and it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic program that they've got there up in Scotland. Uh, Stephen is a friend, uh, f- become a friend, and not only that, a friend of the shift here, too. Now, Stephen, normally we would reach out to you, and you would be over in Scotland. Um, you're from England, and yet you're in North America at the moment, so you're quite far away from all of the the busyness and, and emotional chaos that is your your home country right now how are you i'm, I'm well shane thank you very much thank you for asking and uh yeah it's, uh, it's nice to talk to you again even if it's on such a uh, such a sad occasion well this has been coming for a long time i think everybody in their heart is quite grateful for 90 plus years of queen elizabeth oh, ii but yet Absolutely. it seems yeah. to be so quick because she was just up and about with your new prime minister um, doing all that business. So a uh, bit of a surprise. She How are you was, doing and, and how's your family? I, I'm doing very well. Uh, the family is okay. And as you rightly say, it was something that was expected. Um, so it hasn't come as a massive shock. But I just think it's it still feels like, you know, you've lost a, a close member of your family, you know, your grandma. I mean, I've known no other monarch. I mean, she is the longest, was the longest-serving monarch of the United Kingdom, some 70-plus years. She's seen 15 prime ministers. She's seen 15 U.S. presidents, and she's seen 12 Canadian prime ministers. It's been, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's a little bit hard to take in, I have to say. It's not, uh, but, you know, we've, we've got King Charles now, and... Um, what was it like when you, Stephen, growing up? Because if I remember correctly, I mean, you grew up in England. What was it like in your family with the monarchy? I mean, back in the day when we were younger, well, things like speeches on the television were all new. Well, if I, if I tell you, Shane, I mean, my, um, my parents, my, my father was a, a member of the Coldstream Guards. So my father actually stood outside um, Buckingham Palace and um, did that, you know, marching up and down. He was uh, based uh, very close by to um, to the palace and did his his duty there back in the uh, back in the fifth, the late fifties. And uh, he met my mum in 1959. She was a chiller girl, and um, chiller girls. Uh, I don't know whether some of your listeners may remember the um, the chiller girls, although they're still around. But she used to dance at Sunday night when London played them. So she's danced in front of the Queen. At the uh, at the Palladium at um, uh, during the Royal Variety shows that they used to have back then, um, and it's just um, they're they're in their eighties now, and they re- they remember the, uh, the coronation, they remember the death of the of the previous king, and but for so many people, including myself, you know, I've known no other monarch. This is a, a new experience, um, uh, the death of a monarch, and. I uh, yeah I I do feel like something is is, is missing. It's it's a strange feeling I have to say. 
I I don't know what it was like. I know what it was like in Canada when we were raised, you know, with the Queen of Canada and and all of that. But it seemed for us to be at such arm's length. I would assume it's different, Stephen, when you jump in the car and you just roll on by Buckingham Palace just on a normal day. And there it is. It's in front of you. You get to see the grandeur of it all. Um, you know, I guess I can't ask you what it, the difference would be like, but it, it is very close to you, I'm assuming, when you're uh, in yeah. and around all of these places. I think we just, I suppose, in a way, I, you t- being British, you take you take the royal family for granted, really. You know, it's, uh, they're there. I think she's, she's done a, a marvellous job. Um, you know, she's got a... A bit of a wayward uh, son uh, and a, a little bit of a wayward grandson, but I, I, I think this it, it certainly come at a at a time when you know the United Kingdom is going through some difficult times um, with our government and with the cost of living and with everything else. And I I, uh, I, I don't know what it isn't like at the moment back home, but um, I can imagine it's a bit somber. I can imagine that you know. Uh, people will be going about their everyday lives, but we entered 10 days of mourning, and I, I was just hearing that actually a lot of sporting events have been cancelled um, this weekend and probably next weekend. There's a 10 days of official mourning. Um, King King Charles will be... Um, he won't be officially crowned king, I think, until some sometime next year, but for all intents and purposes now, he is... He is our new monarch and our new king. And now we'll be singing God Save the King. I mean, I've never sung God Save the King. I've only ever sung God Save the Queen. It's uh, yeah. it's strange. That is strange to just twist the words around like that. We had that conversation here about our, our currency. It's not going to change anytime soon, but it will eventually change, and uh, at least some of it. Oh, it and will, then, yeah. Um, yeah. Like coins, all the coins. I mean, coins no, I mean, change. they're not going to be in a hurry, but... Yeah, no, they you know, were. Some, they were. Some like, you know, um, it's no longer the Queen's Privy Council, it's the King's. It's not the Queen's Council anymore, it's the King's Council. You know, mm-hmm. um, things like that, you know, little slight change of words, but from now on it is the King, you know, and um, long live the King. So, what is the uh, general sentiment for King Charles, which I feel like that's a strange thing to say, but, you know, what, what yeah, is the well, sentiment generally with the, at least you your know, family or your circle of friends? Well, from my point of view, I um, I actually came very close to meeting him um, uh, a little while ago. I was um, I was very honoured to accompany my father to um, Windsor Castle. He, 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 he received what's known as the Maudie Money, which uh, is given to people who are nominated by their um, local bishop. And um, I was stood next to him as the money was presented to him by, by Charles because the Queen couldn't make it. So, you know, he's had the last of the morning money with the Queen's, the Queen's head on it. Um, so that's quite something. And um, uh, my father was wearing his uh, regimental Coldstream Guard tie. And, uh, you know, he, he said a few nice words. He recognised the tie, recognised he was part of the Coldstream Guard, thanked him for his service. Um, you know, he's, he's, Charles has had a, a tough, tough life, I suppose, you know, made a few difficult choices. Um, but I hope that the British people will accept him. But I think, uh, I, I certainly will. I think my family will. I think it's just, you know, uh, but I can't speak to everybody else. Stephen Rossiter is joining us on the phone. He's uh, from England. Uh, you might have picked that up from the accent. 
right then, as I like to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's great to hear your voice, Stephen. I really appreciate you taking some time, and I uh, wish you the best, uh, you know, through all this and, and some time with the family, too. Pleasure talking to you, Sam. Take care. Talk to you soon. Yeah, bye now. Bye-bye. Highlandtitles.com if you want to check out um, the Scottish land uh, pieces that uh, Stephen is, comes from with uh, his group and what he represents. So highlandtitles.com. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's The Shift, 877-399-9898, Winnipeg. We have Deanie. What is your memory of the Queen, Deanie? Well, uh, I've seen her when I was a child. I adored her since then. I'm 61 now, so she's been always in my life. I had the privilege of, she was uh, in Winnipeg in, in the 80s uh, for a uh, dinner that was uh, with uh, Brian and Milo Milroni at our convention center. There was about a thousand people. I was a wine pourer and oh. you can't imagine the amount of security and the pomp and the pageantry like I don't uh, there was a real red carpet and that long robe I, I don't know what you call it but it's got a 25 foot train mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how much that thing weighs but she came her entrance came with that to the head table and for it was um, kind of insane it was a thousand dollars a plate mm-hmm. so we had these extremely elderly uh, Anglo-Saxon <laughs> rich people in their women and their husbands of course in these ten thousand dollar gowns Dripping with diamonds, older ladies, and it was not assigned seating. So these women ran as fast as they could, shoving everybody else out of the way to get the table closest to the queen. That's absolutely fascinating. I, You know what, Dini? That's amazing to think that so long ago it was so different. Thank you for sharing that story with us at going to uh, dinner and pouring wine. Uh, at the Queen's Dinner in Winnipeg. Uh, thanks, Deanie, for the phone call. Let's go to Gail, who is in Toronto. Hi, Gail. Um, you remember the coronation, or do you just remember hearing about it? No, I remember it. I'm an old broad. And <laughs> I remember um, being at a parade in Ottawa, because my father was in the Air Force and based there. And he was part of the Canadian contingent that went over to be in the parade. Oh, wow. in London and my mother my father was away a lot and he bought my mother a TV well i think there might have been three TVs in the entire community that we were in and on coronation day half the neighborhood was in our living room that's amazing uh, gail thank you so much for sharing that thought over. with us yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And your story fits very well with Rich's. Rich text from Nevada. He says, we were the only family in the neighborhood with two TVs, so the cool up the street sent a, school up the street sent a truck to borrow one so they could see it as well. I remember the coronation broadcast. It was really long and boring and black and white. <laughs> this is The Shift Podcast. 
are you okay with maps? Are you okay with maps? Now, maps are kind of old school, right? So it's an old school action on the maps. I remember driving from Edmonton to Victoria and going through the Yellowhead, Interior BC, kind of Blue River area. And I break out the calipers and I would measure on the map. It's this far as this many kilometers and this far as this many kilometers and try to guess how many kilometers away we are. Those are the big pieces of paper and the maps. Now, once you become a dad, you don't need a map. You don't ask for directions. You just go. Now, that challenge for the dads of the world has changed in today's world because whether it's a digital map on your phone or a physical paper map that you need to get around, you can't ask for directions. You just can't, but you probably need to check the map so you know where you're going. Now, physical maps are a little bit harder to use because if there's an error, it's probably your fault. You didn't notice the exit number or the right turn or something like that. But the digital maps on the phone, those are a little bit more foolproof, right? Like you just enter in where you're going. The map tells you what to do. Heck, it'll even give you traffic tips. BC drivers found out the hard way about using digital maps over the long weekend last weekend. Holiday traffic chaos in the interior today was only made worse by an apparent online mapping glitch. A slew of cars jammed the Coquihalla at Larson Hill, just south of Merritt, heading back to the lower mainland. Naturally, many drivers were looking for an alternate route. But a glitch with an online navigation tool took some motorists near Merritt to a logging road where there was a washout. Hundreds of drivers were forced to eventually turn around and come all the way back to the busy highway. Okay, so a mistake and a glitch taking people the wrong way. 460 meters of the southbound lanes were washed out on the highway during intense rainstorms last November. Those will be replaced along with upsizing culverts, widening shoulders, and reinstating roadside barriers and spillways. This is not the first time that this storyline has kind of happened. Actually, when Apple Maps came out, there was a city, I believe, in Australia that sued Apple for rescuing people out of the desert because the map was wrong and the map was sending people into the desert. They were breaking down, getting stuck, and had to be rescued by fire and emergency services. So what did they do? They actually sued Apple in order to make them pay for the cost of the services to save the people that got stuck in the desert that were unable to... Um, that were unable to... Uh, you won't get to where they were going, I guess. Absolutely. Check, Jack. Hello. Are you back? Hi. <laughs> Hi. You know what's fun? When you start, are you okay with? And literally my Wi-Fi just says, no. no oh, thanks. did you have one of those? I had a big one of those. Yeah. Oh, that's no good. You had, uh... oh, yeah. oh, now I lost it. Where did it go? Oh, I was so excited, right? <laughs> Nail it in Friday. Big time right here. Yeah, I know. Oh, there it is. Computer says no. There we go. It says no. Yeah. Wow. Welcome back, anyway. by the way. Hi. It's time for our next Hello. one anyway. Um, again, it's actually going to start. Are you okay with, with this out-of-context clip? KFC bucket and a two-liter 7-Up. Thank you, sir. <laughs> he forgot to charge me for the drink. Ah, police! I'm surrounded. They'll never take me alive. But, sir. No! <laughs> 
Hold me, Dad. They're after me because I swiped the seven up. You darn fool! They're giving them away for free! <laughs> what the? Get a free seven up with a 15-piece bucket only at KFC. Your moist toilet, sir. The moist toilet, the magic of the KFC. Are you okay <laughs> with KFC? Yes, hmm. in moderation. You know, it's not oh. my first choice, right? Like, it's not going to be mm-hmm. the first one I go to. But when KFC strikes, like when I get the desire for Colonel's chicken, whoa! And the thing is, like, the popcorn chicken is still the best. Like it Popeyes is. and none of them don't even come close. And Popeyes is crispier, and it's you know it's more consistent as well. You know, like how well cooked it is. But the KFC chicken just tastes better. The spice it blend is just. It's unmatched. It's amazing. It's true. Double down, buddy. Double down. It's all about the double down. I like the double down. Now, are you okay with KFC maybe differently? Maybe like blends of herbs and spices, not on chicken? How about KFC on Ruffles chips? Ruffles KFC original recipe chicken potato chips are now available across Canada. The snack, I've got to try it though. The snack mm-hmm. KFC is describing as the ultimate chip combines the classic KFC secret 11 herbs and spices mix with Ruffles signature ridged potato chips. The limited edition flavor is now available in major retailers across Canada. <laughs> D each bag of. <laughs> Features a code that will get you additional 20% off KFC orders and $10 online via the KFC app. Oh, you can save money with it, too. Yeah. <laughs> to each. That's to pretty funny. Each. Yeah, oh, to each. Oh, we oh, should bring back Homer. Up there. That's a typo. Yeah, you can hit it. Yeah. Right. Two Homer Simpsons in this are you okay. It is. But would you go? Can we try the chi- the chips? Should we do the chips? I think oh, we should do 100%. the chips. They're, uh, yeah. I haven't, uh, like, I didn't know about them until today. So tomorrow, or I guess yesterday and today, when I wake up and I got to do a little grocery run, as I always do on Friday, I will scan for some KFC Ruffles because they, uh, I don't know, I find, you know what, uh, in the UK, Walkers, which is Lay's in the UK, it's called Walkers, they have roast chicken flavored chips or crisps, mm. as they would call them, and they're mm-hmm. 10 out of 10, like seriously, 10 out of 10 potato chips. So really? if they taste anything like that, and I love a good ruffle, I think this could be a win. I think this could be a good potato chip. Hmm. I got to try it because, I mean, if, mm. if it's anything like the flavor that is KFC the next morning cold, that's life-altering. Just saying. Are you okay with Chunky Dogs? Let's be honest. Sounds like food. Hmm? What? Oh. Are you lost? Did I lose you? Where'd you go? What'd you break? Did you lose me? Okay. Uh, I think Brian's having a technical difficulty here. Are you okay with chunky dogs? Well, sometimes dogs get a little chonky, which would be the cool way to say chunky. But it's not okay to fat shame dogs, although I do uh, say to young Harlow, she's got a big butt, which she really doesn't. She's quite thin. But 
She's got a big butt. What can I say? She's tall. Here is a story that we'd like to share with you about a young doggo named Walter. A nine-year-old Labrador retriever was surrendered to Fulfilling Hearts Rescue near Moncton last year. He weighed more than 150 pounds, and he struggled to even walk. Yes, that is chunky. But thanks to a loving new owner named April Solnier, Walter is absolutely now jacked and shredded. So we spent uh, the next few weeks just giving him slow amounts of exercise. Those weeks turned into months, and with every step, the bond between April and Walter grew stronger. When word spread about Walter's need to purge some pounds, volunteer donors in the community rallied behind him. We were very lucky. People helped us uh, purchase this food as it was quite expensive. Never once did he complain, determined maybe to one day be strong enough to make it to his special spot. He loves the beach. His first time that we brought him down there, he ran down and laid uh, right in the water. So it was quite cute. One year later, take a look at this beach body now. Down more than 60 pounds in total. Walter, you're looking pretty good, buddy. Walter has a new spring in his step. His health has improved. He just seems like an all-around happier pup. My mom's dog has no neck. In fact, if she turns to look behind her, she can't see because the roll gets in the way of her eye line. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, but she's happy. She's happy. Who cares? With every step and every swim throughout these many months between last summer and now, the bond between April and Walter, the chunky dog, grew stronger. We could not let him go, she said, having originally planned to only foster the pooch. She said her and her family decided to permanently adopt Walter, who in the end, in losing weight, gained a forever home too. Don't fat shame the pooches, man. Got to love on the doggos. Yeah, that's a delightful story, though. It is a delightful story. Although, if they're snoring so much that you can't sleep at night, then yeah, you need to reevaluate the skinny dog food. Just because it keeps you up, mainly. But feed the dogs. They're happy with the food. Are you okay with awkward encounters? I love them. <laughs> you love them? Mm, I love it. I like I'll create awkwardness in a conversation. I love it so much you can thrive off that energy. I mean, I get it. It's kind of the one good takeaway is that every awkward encounter usually spawns a pretty entertaining story that you can tell over and over and over again. I love it. I just love everything about it. I think it's cool. Get in front, you know, I don't know. It's just fun. Some people just get really awkward. You know, you don't want to make fun as like awkward where they're like uncomfortable, awkward, but playfully awkward. I think that's okay sometimes you just kind of hear the awkward thing happen in someone else's conversation. You're like, yep, time for me to sidestep this one. A man in Colorado was driving around town impersonating a police officer. Not good. Police really don't like that one. Police say Jose Flores Ortiz was driving a 2019 Dodge Durango and activated red and blue lights from a bar in his windshield in an attempt to pull someone over. And then he did successfully pull someone over, a police officer. At one point, he was so close to me, uh, it looked odd. So I reached over and grabbed my police radio and uh, turned it on. And sure enough, the red and blue lights came on behind me. Abdullah knew right away that the vehicle wasn't law enforcement. He radioed dispatch and they confirmed. This can't be real. (laughs) 
Shocked, Abdullah continued following the Durango as it tried to pull another car over, then went back to antagonizing him. He started slamming on his brakes and brake checking me. The car pulled over and Abdullah followed suit. He got out and came back towards my car. The man was wearing a security shirt and carrying a silver badge. Abdullah got out of his car and identified himself. That's when the man realized his mistake. At first, I was an oh shoot moment. And then it was almost like wanting to smooth it over, like I'm just like you. But it was too late. Abdullah detained the man until Brighton police arrived. They found weapons and open containers of alcohol in his vehicle. That man was identified as Jose Flores Ortiz. He was arrested on charges, including impersonating a peace officer. Uh, that was from KY3 News. I mean, that's just, that's trouble. Okay, so here is actual sound of Ortiz pulling up on the actual cop. Well, here's a nifty tip for you. Police say if you ever find yourself in this situation, don't pull over and put down your window for a vehicle you suspect is not law enforcement. Instead, drive a safe speed and turn your hazard lights on. You can call 911 to confirm if the person pulling you over is a member of law enforcement. And as far as I understand, they're supposed to tell you. They're supposed to answer that and let you know, yes, that is a police officer. No, it is not because they'll run your license plate and all those things. So... Uh, worth noting, very much worth noting. So we actually had some great tips last week too. If you check back on our podcast, what to do with the police uh, if someone's following you or chasing you and brake checking you and all those things, is to be able to, um, you know, call into the police and and ask for a little bit of help and they will uh, tell you what to do specifically. So don't do that. There were some stories in Calgary about somebody who was doing that, pulling people over. Yep, yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, and that I don't think that ended well. No, I, it's never going to end well. It's never going to. You don't want your curb your enthusiasm moment like that. Don't don't no. be that guy. I just don't understand why. Why do you? Why would that be well, the, the thing power. of all the things? The power, man. Without having to do the, the school rush. and responsibility, it's got to be absolutely. And they, you know, the they rush. fantasize on what law enforcement's like, and then, you know, so they go on their own and they search it. That's got to be it. I guess it's weird. Always wanted to be a cop. I guess firefighters. You know, you hear those stories, and maybe it's just Hollywood TV shows about. You know, the arsonists that are the ones who run in and try to save save the fire. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Psychologists. Maybe we should get another psychologist talking about this one because this is fascinating to me. Of all the things to do, I mean, it seems like just an invitation to really have a bad day. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.